Treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to the amazing world of radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to the amazing world of radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, we are going to be beginning a new series, uh, Jack Webb's 100th uh, birthday will be coming up on April the 2nd of this year, and we will be celebrating his career, and this will be a spring full of uh, Jack Webb uh, programs, and we, this will be a twice-weekly series here on The Amazing World of Radio. And uh, we'll continue on till April the 1st. And we'll be featuring Jack Webb in generally non-detective roles. Uh, we will uh, be uh, uh, playing uh, a week-long uh, tribute uh, the week of his birthday uh, featuring uh, some work in detective programs over at Great Detectives Old Time Radio at greatdetectives.net. Jack Webb had a long-time interest in radio and uh, radio drama. He left the service in 1945 before the end of the war, as both his mother and grandmother were unable to work, and he decided to get a job in radio, which he did as an announcer for KGO in San Francisco after working his way there from behind the scenes. And there were a lot of things he did there. Uh, he hosted a uh, sort of disc jockey program where he played jazz records. And then he got a permanent announcing uh, position. And he wanted to try different things and was able to talk the staff into giving him a chance. Uh, and uh, we're going to take a listen to a couple of these really early projects. Now, I will admit that some of the episodes we're going to play in this series are definitely not to everyone's taste, and particularly with this stuff uh, from KGO, uh, patience is appreciated, and the less you are into Jack Webb, the less you're probably going to get out of these first couple of episodes. Uh, there were two uh, big projects that Jack Webb uh, took on in San Francisco before his uh, big success uh, on the detective program, Pat Novak for Hire. The, uh, we're going to actually play the second uh, because it's a bit light, and then we'll play the first next time because that one is way heavier. Uh, this one, uh, he persuaded them to give uh, him his own sketch comedy variety program uh, with him as the host and principal actor. Uh, the original air date on this program is uh, April the 10th of 1946. And uh, let's go ahead and take a listen to The Jack Webb Show. This is the Jack Swim Show. Ah, oh, yes. Time. 
time. Time. Time. Oh, my darling. Have you ever stopped to think what Wednesday night at 9.30 means? Oh, my darling. Wednesday night at 9.30 means... Wednesday night at 9.30. Ah, <laughs> oh, my darling, if, if we were on a windswept hill, if we could but go there, if we could but be there alone, just you and I and that windswept hill, just, just the three of us, just you, just I, just that windswept hill. The three of us, that is. I could but whisper but these three immortal words in your ear. Words as old as time. 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 <laughs> these three words would I but whisper. The Jack Webb Show. week, Mayor Lapham announced that the fight was still on to raise streetcar fares, but the Jack Webb Show sinks lower and lower. Yes, the Jack Webb Show, or Lost Wednesday. That means Phil Bavaro and those eight retards known as the Ragged Airs, Clancy Hayes, who brought music to the marina, will sing the words whether they match the music or not. Tiny Nora McNamara, pretty as a picture, will be framed by the orchestra again this week. John Galbraith, a rare Oakland importation, will prove that anyone can be a radio actor. Due to an increase in our program budget, the above people and things will be assisted in tonight's production by an all-star cast of thousands. And if you hurry, you have just time to catch the second show at your neighborhood movie. to Facts on Parade. Yes, here's the program all Africa has been raving about. It's Facts on Parade. The only program devoting its entire time to bringing you the unusual, the bizarre, the little known, and that's a fact. This is the program that has everyone saying, Why, I knew that all the time. Yes, many college students have used this program instead of their books to graduate. And that's a fact. And now here's the man who says, that's a fact. For fact-loving people everywhere, Fred Fact! Thank you, Fred Flooper, and, and good evening. And that's a fact. 
Here's a curious item that comes to us from Fredville, Florida, sent in by Fred Fudge. And that's a fact. Fred Fudge offers this observation. If the uniforms of all the privates in the army were laid end to end, they would most certainly reach. That's a fact. <laughs> Our next item comes from Fredtown, Scotland, submitted by Mrs. Fred Fink. This one is very strange. She says, and I'm not quite sure this is even a fact, robbing Peter to pay Paul is not much better than robbing Paul to pay Peter. <laughs> and that's a fact. And this one wins the Fred Fact Fine Finders of Fact Award. It is submitted by Fred Fang, who lives in Fred Valley, Minnesota. Fred Fang makes this quaint observation. He says that on this program, we seem to show partiality to the name Fred. And that's a Fred. I, I mean a fact. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this material has been approved by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. We wish to thank the Federal Bureau of Investigation for this material, which they assure us is material. Is it Dick Tracy? No. Is it Sherlock Holmes? No. Is it Mr. North? No. Is it Mrs. North? No. Is it the Thin Man? No. The Fat Man? No. The Saint? No. The Whistler? No. The Rock? No. The Bat? The Green Hornet? The Spider? The Dog? The Cat? The Mouse? No! It's... The Razor! He's sharp. <laughs> Another conspicuous first for radio, The True Adventures of the Razor. Tonight's story, another close shave for the Razor. <laughs> Entitled The Case of the Confused Keyhole. The Razor is brought to you each week this time by, well... The Razor is no cheap commercial detective. He's sustaining. <laughs> Leave us look in on the Razor, sitting in his study, thinking. Three hours and I haven't had a case. This inactivity is maddening. I'm in a rut. I might as well admit it. As a last resort, I may telephone my sweetheart, Peaches Latoule. Too late now. I have a murder on my hands. Hello, this is the Razor. Who's been murdered? No murder? Oh, you have the wrong number. What? Who? Buffano? Benny Buffano? 
The press club tent has been stolen. What? What? No, don't touch a thing. This looks serious. You know, Buffano, I suspect the arch enemy of the razor, Stan Strop. I'll go to work on him right away. Hmm. The press club cat stolen. Being held for ransom. I wonder why. Those poor reporters haven't any money. I'll bet there's a half dozen murders before I get to the bottom of this. I'm off for the press club. Peaches Latoul. What are you doing at the press club? This is gang dinner night. What do you mean, press club? You're on the opposite side of town. You're at my house. You sure? Yeah. You've driven all the way across town backwards. Hmm. Must have been that Saratan I put in the gas tank. <laughs> well, I'm off for the press club. <laughs> a lather. Well, I am. <laughs> this case has got me stumped. Who stole that cat and why? I don't know. Neither do I. Oh. Wait. Wait. Yes? I think I hear a murder out in the hall. Oh, Razor, you're on edge. <laughs> yes, yes, perhaps I am. There, did you hear the shot? That was the phone bell. Oh, this is the Razor. Who? Dick Powell? Oh. Well, just fine, thank you. And you? That's fine. Well, I can't be three places at once. How should I know who sapped you? Peaches, I have a plan. You have? Yes. Oh, that's fine. Yes, isn't it? Peaches? What'd you say? Nothing. That was the phone bell. Oh. This is the razor. What? Who? Humane Society. Everyone, you say? What? What? No, don't touch a thing. This looks serious. You know, Humane Society, I suspect the archenemy of the razor, Stan Strop. I'll go to work on him right away. Peaches, you're not going to believe this. That press club cat was only the beginning. Every cat in town has been stolen. Peaches, I've made a list of all the suspects. Round them up and take them down to the San Francisco Opera House. I should hold them all. I'll meet you there in one hour. If I don't run into a murder. They're all here, Razor. 4,000 suspects. This ought to be easy. <laughs> Somebody will betray himself with a guilty expression. We've been here four days now. Yeah. The suspects have thinned out to a mere 3,000. Peaches, I'm on the verge of cracking this case. We've been here three weeks now. Yes, and I've thinned the suspects down to a scant 1,000. Peaches, this fellow's playing hard to get. Yes, and not one of them had a guilty expression. <laughs> Peaches, this whole thing has been a dismal failure. We're on the wrong track. The razor admits <laughs> he's failed. Oh, let's go home. Right. Look out, Peaches! <laughs> 
they slice you? Peaches. No, I'm all right. You know, Peaches, I'm not sure. But I think the men in that car were trying to kill me. I suspect the arch enemy of the razor stands drop. I'll go to work on him right away. Scrape the sky, razor. I've got you covered. Egan, trapped by the notorious Phil Furs. <laughs> We interrupt this Adventures of the Razor to bring you a brief message. The Razor is no cheap commercial detective. No one can sponsor the Razor. And now, back to the Razor. <laughs> I've got you covered now, Phil Furs. Uh, that happened awfully fast. Yes, didn't it? <laughs> Yes, Peaches. Phil Furs, I arrest you for the theft of the press club cat and every other cat in town. Razor, are you sure? But of course, I should have known it all along. That dog was growling not at Phil Furs, but at the sweater he's wearing. The sweater Phil Furs is wearing? You're too late, Razor. He can't. Think of it, Peaches. Phil Furs has skinned every cat in town. But why did he steal the press club cat? Simple, Peaches. That was done to confuse me. How silly. <laughs> yes, Phil Furs. I arrest you for engaging in the illegal practice of the manufacture and the sale of Catsmere sweaters. Back home again, again, in Indiana. It just seems that I can see that same old candlelight still shining bright through the sycamores for me and that new moon hay sends out its fragrance through the fields i used to roam and when i dream about the moonlight on the warpath how i'm longing for my indiana
It's contest time on the Jack Webb Show. Yes, this is that attractive gift offer you've been all waiting for. Say, Webb, we'd better pitch it straight. Okay, John, I guess we have. <laughs> Tell them what we'd like, will Okay, you? gang, we've got a ginger peach prize just waiting for the person who writes the best letter or postcard on the subject. How to get the Jack Webb Show off the air. Executives of the American Broadcasting Company are not eligible to enter this contest. That's right. <laughs> Folks, John's not fooling. We really would like to get your letters and cards. And the subject once more, John, boy. All right, but most of them probably have their letter written already. The subject is how to get the Jack Webb show off the air. All letters must be postmarked not later than Sunday midnight, April 14th. Just address your letters and cards to the Jack Webb Show, American Broadcasting Company, San Francisco, Zone 2. Honest, you'll like the prize. We can barely afford to give it away. Sad people everywhere. This is your program. Yes, sad ones. This is the Misery Hour, presented each week at this same sad time by the makers of Phil DeMille's Pills. Is your head splitting with Nyap? Oh, that miserable Nyap feeling. Each of us has it at one time or another. No use trying to fight Nyap, for Nyap fights back. The only way to rid yourself of Nyap is to have your head removed, which is, of course, unless you have plenty of money, is not practical these days. Fight Nyap with Phil DeMille's pills, a harmless little stimulant that contains small amounts of opium, heroin, marijuana, and cyanide. <laughs> Before the various stages of Nyap set in, head Nyap, back Nyap, foot Nyap, and ear Nyap, fight Nyap effectively with Phil DeMille's pills. Nyap, spelled backward, is pain. <laughs> And now your host for the evening and conductor of the misery hour, Bill Ball. Thank you, Terry Tear. <laughs> well, friends, before tonight's interviews begin, I am happy to report that Gladys Glue, you remember Gladys? She had on the pink formal and the big green picture hat. Lovely child. Well, Gladys Glue has decided to stick it out. She will divorce those first two husbands and stay married to the third. No applause, please. I'm sure that all of you will recall that charming little French chap, Dale Duet, the little two-headed boy. Well, I'm happy to report that little Dale has solved his problem. The public library has granted him two cards, and now he can have a book for each head. No applause, please. And now, the case of Mrs. P.G. McMee of Milpitas. Oh, me, Mrs. McMee. You're all going to pieces. Pull yourself together now. Now, what is your problem? Oh, I feel miserable, Mr. Ball. We all do on this program, my dear. <laughs> well, Mr. Ball, I don't know whether you would consider this a problem or not. Well, tell it, my dear, and we'll see. Well, I married my husband, Melvin McNee, and I never really did get along with his grandfather because the old man said that I had a face like his sister's cousin who was a gangster because he was given a good beating by her brother-in-law who later turned out to be the husband of a very wealthy oil woman from Oklahoma who never suspected suspected her father of having anything to do with the Nazis because as far back as the three boys could remember, their mother was mean to them and never allowed their younger sister any of the privileges that Flossie had. 
Which caused the uncle great concern because he had been on the lookout for her mother's brother ever since the last war and was determined that no matter what happened, he would not forgive them. So they are after me time and time again for an answer, and I still have my ambitions. Well, Mr. Ball, my problem is, should I? (laughs) Would you mind repeating that, please? Better still, let's have the next case. Good evening, Mr. Ball. My name is Hobart Heap, and I live in Sausalito. And I have a problem. Yes, go right ahead. Don't be nervous. Thank you, Mr. Sausalito. My name is Ball Heap, and I live in Hobart. Now, please, don't be nervous. Yeah. Well, my name is Hobart Sausalito, and I live in a heap. Now, now, now. You're all unstrung. I believe your name... Didn't you say your name was Sausahipo? And you live in Balbardo. Well, I have a problem. I'm a gambler. And I do the same thing all gamblers do. I gamble. (laughs) I started gambling pennies at first, then the grocery money, and then I gambled all my wife's savings away. Our car, our home... All gone. All gone now. And what does your wife think about all this? I don't know. She left me yesterday. This morning she came back for the children and the washing machine, but I'd gambled the washing machine away. I see. Well, about all you have left is your home, isn't it? No. No, that went this afternoon. Just two hours after I lost my job. Life's just about over for me, Mr. Ball. Gambling has been my undoing. I see. And your problem? Mr. Ball. Yes? I'd like to know who looks good to you in the fourth at Bay Meadows.
glad my heart waited you. That favorite dream of mine has now come Half-Track Surplus Salesman. This week, as it must to all men, Army Day came to the infantrymen. In San Francisco, the 2nd Division paraded up Market Street. What about surplus? In New York, the Rainbow Division paraded up Broadway. What about surplus? Yes, in Washington, Army bigwigs were faced with the perplexing question of surplus. Where is it? Thus, this Army Day, people all over America were asking the question, what about surplus? Who's buying it? Or can they? To bring an end to these questions, a page torn from the private files of Hal Halfrack, Surplus Salesman. Oh, you bet, madam. Why, that 16-inch shell will make a beautiful ashtray. Well, are you sure it won't go off? Oh, positively. Why, madam, our detonator experts have gone over that shell from stem to stern. It's as safe as a baby's rattle. Yes, you'll certainly surprise your husband with this ashtray. All right, I'll take it. Here you are. Fine. You won't regret this. Bye, madam. No, sir, you won't regret it. Over there. Goodbye. Over there. Well, it'll still make a good ashtray. Good afternoon. Are you Hal Halftrack? Right the first time. Hal Halftrack, and I'm dealing in army surplus. Fine. Then you're just the man I want to see. I've just come from the draft. Ah, oh, too bad. Too bad. Almost got drafted myself once. Going in the army, eh? Well, you've come to the right place. You have a decided advantage over the boys who went in early. You're going into the army equipped. Yes, but Mr. Hart, Don't say but... another word. I'm going to outfit you, son. From top to bottom, you're going to be wired for sound. But Hart, If but... you don't quit interrupting me, fella, I'll send you right into the army just like you are. Now, you'll need... Tell me, fella, what branch of the service do you think you're going into? Well, it really doesn't matter. First off, you're going to need a few uniforms, about 12 dozen of each. Paratroopers, cavalry, mechanized infantry, infantry, and air corps. That's in case you transferred. But, uh... Now, you were about to say, what if you're promoted? Well, I thought of that, too, fella. I'm throwing in officers' uniforms for each of the branches, 12 dozen each. Uh... I think you're making a mistake. Yes, you thought I was leaving out your means of transportation. Well, you're wrong. I'm putting in a fleet of jeeps on your list and a staff car in case you're appointed to the higher echelon. Half-track. Half-track. I'm glad to see you're taking an interest in this. After all, it's for your benefit, not mine. Yes, indeed, you will need a half-track. Ours haven't been working too well lately, so I'm going to include three in your order. But... That's a good question. (laughs) What if you don't stay in the ground forces? What if you fly? Well, we're all out of B-29s, but I can let you have four B-17s. But... uh... All right. You can have six. I'll stretch a point. You don't seem to understand. Oh, yes. You're worried about that fighter protection up there. Well, I'm including a dozen each. One dozen P-38s, one dozen P-40s, one dozen P-51s, and if you're lucky, I may throw in a half dozen of the new jets. Half track. You've already got one of those on your list, fella. (laughs) Now, there's only one more thing I can think of. Let me see it. Chemical warfare. Yes, you'll need a full supply of all the poisonous gases plus a sniff kit so you won't poison yourself. And I happen to have one carload. One carload of the late gas mask. But... Uh, oh, you'll need every one of them. You'll meet a lot of friends in the Army. You know, I can't see why all the rest of the folks who come in here can't use the war surplus items I've sold you. They're all handy. 
Now, what have you got to say to that? Only this. I'm the clerk of your draft board, and for some reason you were overlooked in the early call. You're going into the army equipped. You've just been drafted. Well, tonight's egg was laid on the vocal side by Clancy Hayes and Nora McNamara. John Galbraith and Ethel Sterling blew the lines. Bill Barrow and his ragged airs with the music. Dick Green glued the joints together. This is Jack Webb saying good night, gang. Hey, look at us again next week about 9.30. And don't forget to let us subscribe, will you? This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Welcome back. Uh, there were a few moments during that program that I did uh, enjoy. Uh, I thought... Just uh, Webb's delivery on that whole line uh, where he said, he did it to confuse me. How silly. I mean, that delivery was just great. And I did like the gag with Dick Powell calling and him saying that he didn't know who sapped him, which is a joke that plays into uh, Rogue's Gallery and other detective programs where... Uh, Dick Powell appeared, uh, particularly Rogue's Gallery at this point, because it's 1946, uh, where he would always be like, who sapped me? And so, yeah, that worked. Uh, a lot of it, uh, it doesn't. It's really hit and miss with the humor. And I do actually think it's an interesting concept for a show, because it's almost entirely uh, sketches, you know, if you listen to, say, uh, Jack Benny or Fred Allen or Bob Hope, they have sketches, uh, but there's a limited number. This one was like sketch after sketch after sketch after sketch. Uh, the closest thing I've heard to it was Bob and Ray. At the end of the day, though, I just don't think they had the talent to pull it off. So there are some funny moments in there, but... Uh, yeah, a lot that you can understand why this didn't make it. Uh, I don't judge Jack Webb at all too harshly on this. It was really a unique opportunity that he was given on KGO. KGO was an important station in ABC's West Coast operation. ABC itself was a fledging network having been created by uh, a division of NBC, Red, and Blue, ABC being the former Blue Network, and they needed programming. And San Francisco was not a great city for radio. Uh, you know, when you look at the history of the golden age of radio, New York and Los Angeles are the big two cities. Uh, Chicago, I think, would be an obvious uh, third city. You had a lot of comedies that were produced there. And even Detroit. Uh, Detroit produced the uh, programs that came out of WXYZ, like uh, The Lone Ranger and The Green Hornet. San Francisco, particularly in the post-war era, was really a fledgling uh, competitor. And so it, it created an opportunity for someone like Webb. And I, you know, was just reviewing Michael Hayes' book, My Name is Friday, which is out of print. And he wrote about how Webb would appear in a lot of local radio dramas in Los Angeles, 
uh, during the pre-war era, you know, in addition to working his day job until he became a regular on a college uh, radio uh, uh, station's uh, classes uh, weekly show. So when he arrives at KGO, he's got things he wants to try. And the opportunity to experiment, to try, to fail, uh, to really have that chance. And with some very disparate uh, projects, I don't know if it would have happened for Webb anywhere else other than San Francisco uh, right after the war. So this would definitely be a failed experiment, but it was one step in him finding a direction for his life and where his career was going to go. Well, that's actually all for now. Join us back here on Monday as we continue on with our look at Jack Webb and his amazing career over radio, and we'll be looking at his very first project for KGO outside of the typical disc jockey duties. Uh, join us back here then for that. If you do have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.